Hello, and welcome to Legal Aid of West Virginia's podcast. I'm Clint Adams, Legal Director of Legal Aid of West Virginia. In this episode, we will be discussing guardianship and adoption of minors. Legal Aid of West Virginia is a nonprofit law firm providing legal services and advocacy to vulnerable West Virginians. This podcast is presented to bring relevant and current information. All information is current at the time this podcast is published. Our guest attorneys are licensed to practice law in the state of West Virginia. This information relates only to the law in the state of West Virginia and is provided for informational purposes only. While our host and guests are attorneys, the information presented is legal information and does not take the place of an attorney-client relationship. You should speak with an attorney about your specific situation. Welcome to this edition. I'm Clint Adams. I'm your host, and I'm joined today by Angie White. Angie is the supervising attorney of our Clarksburg office. Angie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Now, what do you do? I noted you're the supervising attorney in the Clarksburg office. What's your job responsibilities in that role? I have a staff of about eight attorneys and three paralegals that I manage. Um, in addition to my responsibilities as a supervisor. I also am the kinship resource attorney for uh, Legal Aid of West Virginia. So that is a position that covers all of our counties in addition to the counties that we cover here in the Clarksburg office. So as the kinship resource um, attorney, what kind of cases do you see? I mostly deal with adoptions, guardianships, and then we do some estate planning like wills for kinship care providers, and we do get involved in some abuse and neglect cases uh, where we represent the grandparents or foster parents. Now, um, how long have you been practicing law? I've been practicing for about 15 years, which is difficult to say. <laughs> <laughs> and what kind of cases have you done the most during that time? I've been in pretty much every role um, during my time. I was in private practice for a couple years. And so in private practice, I did some public defender work. And I also did some abuse and neglect work where I was the guardian for children or I was the attorney for a parent. Um, so I definitely got to see that side of things. And then I've been at Legal Aid for about 13 years. I started out as a domestic violence attorney, so I represented victims of domestic violence. Um, and then I moved to our West Virginia Works program where I did a lot of family law. I've worked as our general um, attorney where I did a lot of housing law. And so I've done a little bit of everything that Legal Aid does. Now, in the Clarksburg office, uh, living in the Clarksburg area, what's something that you do for fun? Actually, tonight I have tickets to go see a concert at the Robinson Grand Theater. Um, and the Robinson Grand has a lot of events. They bring in some national recording artists. They bring in comedians. There's a lot of fun activities. They have movies for kids. Um, and one of the great things that they are doing now is they offer rush tickets. And basically what they do is uh, about 30 minutes before the show, they will offer any tickets they have left at a huge discount. So you can see a $25 or $40 show for five or $10. Um, so the Robinson Grand is a really great theater. It actually was here when I was a kid and I can remember going and seeing the Nutcracker there when I was little um, and it was shut down for a while and they had went in and re 
renovated it. Um, and so it's just a really great experience to go there and, and see a show. When you were talking about Rush tickets, I thought that was a great band from the 70s, and maybe I could go hear Tom Sawyer. But, uh, well, let's talk um, about some of the legal issues we came here to talk about today. Um, so we're talking about guardianship of children. We're talking about basically people who are not the parents who have some kind of standing as it relates to the children. Um, now, first of all, does that require a court order, or can you give, um, if you're a parent, can you give somebody else legal rights to do things with about your child? About your child? Yeah, so if you want to do something more informal, you can do a temporary care agreement. And basically, this is just an agreement um, where you give someone else certain authority to provide care for your child. And so the agreement can be um, official, it can be typed up, notarized, signed by everyone, or it could be something as simple as a piece of notebook paper where you've written down what you want to take place um, and signed by both parties. I've even seen uh, these custody arrangements, arrangements written on a napkin. Basically, um, that was the only thing available and it needed to be a quick agreement. So you don't have to have a lawyer to necessarily draft that. If you're a parent, you're in a situation, maybe you're going to have some medical care or maybe you're going to be incarcerated for some period of time. You could just leave your, your child with someone that you know and trust and, and write out a, a simple piece of paper like that. Exactly, exactly. You do not have to have an attorney to draft that. Um, and, and like I mentioned, you could just take a piece of notebook paper and handwrite what, what you want to see for your child and um, place time limits on that as well. Now, I noted, um, you know, if there's a, if you're going to do an inpatient operation, maybe you're going to be unavailable for a week or two or maybe a brief incarceration for a few days and you need somebody to take care of your child. Are there other situations um, where there might be a, a temporary arrangement where something that you could do like this pretty quickly would take care of things? Yes, uh, sometimes we see this if someone needs to take some time to go to rehab or something like that, they may sign an agreement um, placing the child in their in their parents' care while they, they attend this rehab. Um, sometimes you just might not be in a stable place, and so maybe you don't have a place to live right now, and you want to leave the children with your parents or another family member, um, and so you could write this type of agreement and place the children with them while you got yourself stabilized. Now, can you assign just a few things maybe for that? Could you just maybe let a third party make medical decisions or enroll the child in school and not have to give them physical custody or something like that? You can absolutely uh, tailor a temporary care agreement to meet your needs. Um, so you can place in there that it only allows them to make to take your child to the doctor. So maybe you work and you need your parents to be able to take them to the doctor. So you could limit it to that. Um, you could limit it to um, providing day-to-day -day care, but not making like non-emergency medical decisions. Or um, you could even say they can provide day-to-day -day care, but they can't make decisions regarding like tattoos, piercings, or haircuts. I mean, it can be very much tailored to what you need. So when are some of the times you recommend these temporary care agreements? I think a temporary care agreement is good um, for shorter time periods. I think it's good if you don't have access to an attorney or the time to go to court to get an order. Um, I think if you want to keep things informal, 
if you're a parent, it's a good option because it can be easily revoked. So if you decide you don't want this person to take care of your child anymore, all you have to do is verbally tell them that, you know, you're revoking this agreement and you can get your children back. So I think those are the situations where temporary care agreements work best. Now, would this be appropriate if you had a step parent? Maybe you're going to have a, your, your spouse who's the step parent to the child, take the child to the doctor or take the child to to a school function, a field trip or something like that? Yeah, so, so I think in those situations, most likely you're going to be able to identify this person as a caregiver on the doctor's forms or at the school. So I don't know that a temporary care agreement would be necessary in those situations, but certainly it would work if, if the school doesn't have um, the option to list the step parent as a caregiver for the child. So we talk about the revocability of that. If you're a biological parent and you do a temporary care agreement, you can easily revoke it. Um, let's say I have a child who, who maybe I'm concerned about their safety. Maybe the biological parent isn't in a very good place and I have a temporary care agreement. What can I do to, to keep that from being revoked? And so unfortunately, there isn't anything you can do to keep a temporary care agreement from being revoked. And so I work with a lot of grandparents and and sometimes I advise them against using a temporary care agreement for that very reason, because they're looking to provide stability for this child and the parent may be using that temporary care agreement as leverage against the parents to try to get money or other things. And so there's always that fear that they're going to come and take the children and uproot their stability. And so in that circumstance, I'm not going to recommend a temporary care agreement, and I'm likely going to recommend that they file for guardianship so that they can have that stability. So how do you file for guardianship? What, what goes into that process? So guardianship has to be filed um, with the court system, and it has to be ordered by the judge. So to start that process, you would need the guardianship forms. You can obtain those from the circuit clerk's office. They usually... Um, are available at a cost, or you can go to your local legal aid office and request a copy of the forms and they can provide them to you for free. They're also available on the West Virginia Supreme Court website under their forms section as well, correct? That is correct. So if you Googled um, that, you could find those forms and print them yourself. Is that the most common way for a third party to get custody of a child then would be to file for guardianship in, in court? Yes, yes. Guardianships are um, the most common way to get custody of children. Um, typically, there are some instances where someone is going to require a court order, and so a guardianship is how you get that court order that says you have temporary custody of this child. Now, what if the parents agree to that? Um, if, if the biological mother and father both agree that some other third party should take care of the child for a while, what do they do? There are forms that the parents can fill out that waive their right to be the guardian of the child. And so um, the person who is trying to get guardianship would fill out the petition, the parents would sign those waivers, and those would be filed with the circuit clerk's office. Um, and, and that would get that process started. When you say the circuit clerk's office, where is the circuit clerk's office at? The circuit clerk's office is the office in your local courthouse where you would file documents. Any courthouse that you go to is going to have what's called a circuit clerk's office. So typically you could ask the bailiffs that are at the front um, or the security staff where the circuit clerk's office is and they would direct you to where you need to go. 
is there a fee to file this? Yes, um, the fee to file guardianship is $200. Um, there is also service fees. So if you have to serve both, both parents, that's typically $25 per parent. So you're looking at about $250 to file. What if you don't have $250? There is a fee waiver that you can um, request. And if you fill out that form and you are approved for the fee waiver, then you would not have to pay any of those filing costs. Those would be waived. To qualify for that, you would need to be low income. And is this filed in the family court or in the circuit court? The family and circuit court have what's called concurrent jurisdiction over guardianships. And so what this means is that you could file in either court. Um, there's been some guidance about where you should file. And so if there are no allegations of abuse and neglect, like in the instance you mentioned earlier, say both parents agree to the filing of the guardianship, then you could file that in family court. Um, but if you are alleging that the parents have abused the child, neglected them, um, are using drugs or something like that, then you are likely going to have to file in circuit court. If you file in family court and um, they think that there are allegations of abuse and neglect, then what they will do is they will move that case to circuit court. Um, so if you're not sure, regardless of where you file it, the court will get it to the right court system. What's the difference between the family court and the circuit court, just practically, if, if you haven't been to either of these courts? So family court is the court that hears your divorce and custody type cases. And so they're used to working with families. It's typically a little bit more informal than circuit court. Circuit court is a more formal court where they are hearing um, the criminal cases, civil lawsuits, and things like that. Um, circuit court is also where abuse and neglect cases are heard. So the circuit court has the authority to terminate parental rights um, as part of that. And I think that's where the thinking comes in, that if you've made allegations of abuse and neglect, because that is the court that hears those types of cases, that's where that guardianship should be heard. Now, are there things that would prohibit someone from being becoming a guardian? Is there anything the court's going to look to that might say, there's no way we could make this person a guardian? Yes, so anyone can file for guardianship. And so you don't have to be a relative. Um, any responsible person that is not a parent can file for guardianship. Um, there are some additional screening factors that the court's gonna look at as a guardian. They are expecting you to be a fit person. So some of the things that they're gonna ask you if you apply for guardianship is whether you've been required to register as a sex offender, um, if you've ever had any misdemeanor or felony convictions, if you've ever had a restraining order or domestic violence protection order filed against you, um, if you've ever had a substantiated CPS or abuse and neglect case filed against you, um, if you use illegal substances or abuse alcohol, or um, if anyone in your home does any of these things. This could prohibit you from filing for guardianship. What effect does it have if you've had the child with you for a while and then you want to go file a guardianship and presuming none of the limiting factors you just mentioned are present? The longer that you've been providing care for the child, the more likely that a guardianship 
will be granted. Um, that being said, you shouldn't use that as a reason not to file. Um, there's no need to wait if you feel like there are compelling reasons to get the guardianship granted. Now, is the guardianship, you mentioned the temporary care agreements, that could be revoked by a parent. Can a guardianship also be revoked or um, terminated? Yes, a guardianship can also be terminated, but the difference is that a guardianship can only be terminated by the judge. So it's not like a temporary care agreement where the parent can come in and say, I don't want you to take care of my kids anymore. The parent would have to go to the court and say that to them and ask them to terminate the guardianship. The court is going to look at whether there has been a substantial or significant change in circumstances since the guardianship was entered. So if the guardianship was entered um, because you didn't have a stable place to live, then the court is going to expect you to show that you have found a place to live and that you're stable and that you're able to provide care for the children. Now, let's say I'm a guardian and maybe I took guardianship because someone was going to be incarcerated. So I took guardianship of their child and now they're being released from incarceration and I want to return the child to the parents. What, what steps would a guardian take if they wanted to no longer be the guardian? The guardian can also petition to terminate the guardianship. And so the guardian would file that motion or petition to terminate the guardianship and they would ask the court to return the child to the parents. Um, so long as there weren't any alarming um, factors brought to the judge's attention, those typically will be permitted and the child will be returned. Now, let's say the child shouldn't be returned to its parent, but as a guardian, maybe I get a health diagnosis and I can no longer serve as a guardian, but I want someone else to, to be the guardian. What would that process look like? It would be similar in that you would motion the court to replace you as the guardian and you would have someone that you are nominating to to replace you as that person. The court is unlikely to terminate the guardianship if you don't have anyone that you are asking the court to name as the child's guardian. So if you're just like, I don't want to do this anymore, but I don't know who's going to take care of these kids, I think that's going to be problematic. You really should have someone, whether that be the parent or someone else that can take that responsibility ready to step in for you. Because ultimately, if you don't have that and you're not going to be able to care for the child, then they may have to place the child in foster care. Correct. So we talked about guardianships, the fact that they can be revoked. Are there legal ways that you can get custody of a child that's not your biological child um, that cannot be revoked? Yes. So um, if you're looking for that permanent custody, what you can do is file for adoption. And so adoption creates a new parent-child relationship. So you will be identified on that child's birth certificate as their parent. And so this works for not only um, adoption can be for children who are family members or non-family members. As I mentioned, it does create a new birth certificate where you are listed as the child's parent. And as part of that process, you can also change the child's name. Now, do you have to prove that the biological parents are unfit uh, to get an adoption? There are three ways that you can get an adoption. One is to show that the parents' rights have already been terminated. And so that might happen in an abuse and neglect action uh, where the court found that the parents' rights should be terminated. Another way 
is if the parents consent. So you may have parents that are willing to agree that you can adopt their child. And the third way is to show that the parents have abandoned the child. And to show abandonment, you have to show that for the six months immediately preceding the filing of the adoption, that the parents have failed to uh, communicate with, visit, and provide support for the child. And so this means that the parents have not called, they haven't texted you to check on the kids, they haven't sent gifts or cards, um, they haven't showed up to visit, they've just been missing for the, the last six months prior to filing that. So let's say I'm a, I'm a young person and I'm about to give birth to a child and I want another family member or a friend or somebody else that I know, I want to adopt that child. What steps would you, if you were advising that birth parent, what steps would you advise them to take? The birth parent would identify who they want to adopt the child. They should um, make arrangements for those people to obtain counsel maybe to file the adoption, and then they should be prepared to sign a consent for the adoption of that child. Uh, when you're dealing with a, a baby that's just been born, parents cannot sign consents until 72 hours after the birth of the child. Basically, this just makes sure that you don't change your mind after the child's born. Um, they want to give parents the opportunity to make sure that this is what they want to do. Um, but once you sign that consent after 72 hours, then the adoptive parents can go through the process, file for adoption, and adopt the child. That would be largely a birth mother. What about birth fathers? Um, are they also required to sign the consent? Yes, a birth father, an identified birth father would have to sign the consent. If there was an unknown father, then the court would have to take procedures to try to notify that person. Um, this is often published in the newspaper um, that there is, that they have had a child born and that someone would like to adopt that child. And so they do have to give the adopted or the birth father the opportunity to decide that they also want to give that child up for adoption. So then after that child's born, if in six months um, birth father hasn't taken any action, we talked about that presumption of abandonment, would that be applicable there as well? Yes, it would be. Um, if as a man, if you have not taken steps to find out that a child has been born, um, then you presumptively have abandoned that child. And we talk about that six month where if you haven't had interactions with the child, what makes that a magic time, I guess? I think the court has just decided that that's a reasonable time period where if you've not been a parent to this child for a period of six months, that um, it's in the child's best interest to be adopted by someone that will step up and provide that care. And so I, I can't say that there's... Um, I can't say that there's any reason beyond just the fact that you've been missing and it's so important for you to be in the child's life um, that they've decided that it's not in the child's best interest and that adoption may be the way to go. Now that creates a, the six month creates a presumption of abandonment. Are there situations where the court, you might not have had interactions with a child for six months, but the court wouldn't find abandonment? Certainly. Um, as a parent, you can always come into the court and um, argue against abandonment. 
some of the things that the court's going to be looking for is, did you know where the child was and were you able to contact the child? And so maybe if you had um, health issues that prevented you from contacting the child or the person who had your child concealed their location and you weren't able to, um, if you were incarcerated and you had made attempts from your incarceration to try to contact the child, but those have not been successful. Those are reasons why the court would listen to you and uh, would likely find that the child has not been abandoned. It definitely has to be that you knew where the child was and that you didn't take that action and you weren't prohibited by anyone from taking that action. So then once that happens, um, if if the court finds abandonment, finds that you've consented to the adoption or finds that it has already terminated the parental rights, then the court the, the rights for the biological parents will be gone forever, right? And then the adoption would be entered. What's the court looking to from the adoptive parents as far as um, before they can enter adoption order? Similar to the guardianship, they're going to run through those screening factors that I mentioned. They're going to look at your character to see if you do have any criminal history or have any concerns about your character. Typically, you have to have a couple character witnesses come and testify on your behalf. Um, some courts will require what's called a home study and so they would have a third party come into your home and investigate and make sure that your home is appropriate for the child um, the court is just making sure that the adoptive parents are a good fit for for the child and um, if they don't have any concerns then that adoption will be granted is the court going to ask the child what the child wants or is there an age that the court will ask that i mean obviously a six-month-old can't can't talk about that, but a 16-year-old is different. Typically, the age where the court is going to require consent from the child is 12. So a 12-year-old or older child is going to have to either fill out a written consent or appear in court and verbally consent. Um, often when I've been involved in these adoption proceedings, the court will ask younger children if they want to be adopted. Usually it's just an informal question, um, but I think the judges just like to hear from kids that they do want to be adopted. Um, so they're not going to ask babies or toddlers if they want to be adopted. If you ask my toddler if he wanted to be adopted, he'd probably tell you no, um, even <laughs> if that wasn't true. But um, they will, you know, if you have a kid that's six or seven, they're probably going to ask them, like, is this what you want? Um, now, if if in that situation the kid said no, I think the court would investigate um, a little further um, to make sure that there were no issues. But uh, just because a kid says no, they don't want to be adopted doesn't mean that the adoption won't happen. Now, when we talk about these adoptions, how does this differ if you have a step parent? So if I'm a biological um, father, say, and I, my, my wife is the one who is engaged with the child on a regular basis, what, what impact does that have? With a step parent, you are just the biological parent that is married to the step parent is going to have to consent and support the adoption. Um, and then you're just going to have to get one of those three things from the other biological parents. So you would have to show that their rights have been terminated, that they consent to the adoption, or that they've abandoned the child. So it's going to be the same process, but you're just looking at one parent instead of two. Are there reasons that biological parents do consent to the adoption? Um, what legal effect does it have? Why would it benefit a biological parent, I guess? You know, a lot of times the biological parents just recognize that the child is in a better position if they're adopted by this person. Sometimes it 
maybe because they're paying child support and it would terminate that child support. That may be something that someone considers as a factor. But typically, it's a scenario where the biological parent just recognizes that they're not able to provide the care for the child and that the child is, is going to have a better chance with the adoptive parents. Now, when a step-parent adopts, what legal effect does that have on it um, if, if the parties separate later? As a step-parent, if you adopt a child, you are you have become that child's biological parent, essentially. So you have all the same rights and responsibilities as a biological parent would. And so if you divorced your spouse, um, you would have, the child would be treated just as if the child was your own. So um, you would have the right to uh, custody of the child. Um, but you also would have the responsibility of paying child support for that child because it is your child. So ultimately, an adoptive parent could end up with primary custody of a child over a biological parent um, by virtue of the fact that they have the same legal rights. Do I understand that correctly? Exactly. And a biological or an adoptive parent could be ordered to pay child support on behalf of that child if there were. Yes, yes, that is certainly true. So at the end of the day, when you do an adoption legally, it's the same as if that child was born to you in the hospital. Yes, there's not going to be any difference. Um, you're going to be listed as the parent on the birth certificate. You're going to be able to um, get that child on your health insurance at work. Um, you know, you're going to be able to treat that child just as if you had given birth to that child. Well, Angie, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. I think this has been some very informative information. I think um, I think a lot of us learned a lot today. Thank you. For more information about guardianship, kinship placement, or adoption, visit our website at LegalAidWV.org. This has been a presentation of Legal Aid of West Virginia.